First through third grade are dismissed for junior church. If you are still there in your seat, I hope you brought a Bible with. If you didn't, find one under Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. I understand that last week, uh, Pastor John had you rolling in the aisles and things like that. I doubt that's going to happen today. I'm not Pastor John. I'm not a good storyteller like he is. But, oh, by the way, just by, by way of announcement, thank you for everyone that helped at the tractor pull yesterday. Mr. Cobby gave his testimony. That was a real praise. Uh, we had lots of people helping. We had people from as far away as four hours away drive here yesterday to come to the tractor pull. They heard Cobby's testimony. Uh, great day. Praise the Lord. Thank you for praying for this ministry. Thank you for helping. I appreciate that. Subject this morning is one that next to the topic of love is probably the most important topic I could think of out of the Bible. They fit together. There's no way you can separate these two. Forgiveness is something that takes away from every relationship. Here's what it means. If forgiveness is needed, that means an offense has been committed. Someone has been violated. Harm has been done. The problem exists. Otherwise, there is no need for forgiveness. Forgiveness is never fair. Pastor, you expect me to forgive that person who did this to me. Why am I the one who has to do the forgiving? They're the one that offended me. They hurt me. They owe me. The truth of the matter is, forgiveness is not fair. You're not going to probably like a lot of this sermon unless you're already practicing it, and then you'll understand why it's so important. But think about this. If you believe and you should, that forgiveness is not fair, you're right. Because the most unfair thing that ever happened in all the universe was when a perfect, sinless man died on the cross so your sin could be forgiven. There is nothing beyond that. Now, the whole concept, and that is where we're going to focus on because if our sins are not 100% completely and totally forgiven on the cross by Christ, then everything else I have to say this morning means nothing. And I'm literally telling you it means nothing. In every marriage, there is need for forgiveness. I'm just going to go through a few things. You mean my spouse pushed, shoved, hit and harmed me, and I'm supposed to forgive them? You mean my spouse nags and is critical and never has one good word to say, and I'm supposed to forgive them? They've abused me physically, mentally, emotionally, in every way, and I'm supposed to forgive them? The answer is yes, and it's not fair. My spouse, you don't understand. All these years they've been drinking or doing drugs. You don't know how that's messed up our life. You don't know how dysfunctional our family has begun. You know what? I don't. I've heard plenty of stories, but I don't know your circumstance. And I'm supposed to forgive them only on the basis of what Christ has done. You mean to tell me 
that my spouse, who has abused my kids, sometimes in my presence, sometimes when I didn't know, emotionally, they're a wreck. They've been hit. They've been abused. They've been sexually abused. And I'm supposed to forgive them? See, you're understanding why this is probably not a sermon you're going to have a lot of laughs at. Because this is horrible stuff. And it's not only the the big things. But the truth of the matter is, every time there's an offense, every time an injustice has been done, every time there's an account due, the need for forgiveness is there. Oh, but you don't understand. That's the biggie. You don't understand how devastating it is when your spouse is unfaithful. You just don't get it. Pastor, you couldn't ask me. You couldn't tell me that God insists that I forgive them. The answer is yes, I can tell you that. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. My emotions say, get them back. My mind even sometimes starts playing tricks and says, you know what, find some devious way to get even. A little revenge, a little vengeance, a little anger in their direction, a little punishment in their direction would be good. Bible tells me forgiveness is what's needed. But pastor, you don't understand what it does to the psyche of a woman when her husband is using pornography. You don't understand how degrading that is. You don't understand how it makes me feel, how low I feel. No, I don't. I couldn't even comprehend that. But I know one thing. God through Jesus Christ, has provided forgiveness for you. And you need to provide forgiveness in in that direction also. You know what? It really doesn't matter what the direction is. It doesn't matter what the offense is. It doesn't matter how big or how small it is. Forgiveness is one of those things that's never easy to talk about. I already told you it's not fair. But let me give you a few more things before we move on. First of all, a lot of people don't forgive for one main reason. One huge main reason is they believe if they don't forgive that person, they've got power over that person. You see, if someone has wronged me and I don't forgive them, I always got some ammo in reserve to shoot at them if they do one little thing wrong. I can always say something bad about them. I can always put them down. I got power over them. But that's a misnomer. That's wrong. Because the truth of the matter is, whether you know it or not this moment, they are controlling you. I've had people in my office look at me with total disdain when I said, you need to forgive your spouse or you need to forgive your boss or whoever it happens to be because they have taken you down to their level. You have become like them. And they go, you don't understand. You don't understand what they've done to me or how they've treated me or any of those things. And you're telling me I'm like them? The answer is yes, I am telling you. Because when you don't forgive that person, you are now, number one, an unforgiving person. And you have now gone down to their level. And so as despicable and twisted and distorted as that thing that they did to you was... You have now gone down there because you're an unforgiving person. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 18, which is going to give us the background for everything I'm telling you here. But the truth is, when I don't forgive, that other person has me in their power. You need to forgive because it's the right thing to do. Because you have been forgiven. 
Your forgiveness has been provided 100%, and you need to extend that to the next person. But it doesn't stop there. <coughs> because forgiveness is a choice. There are things in this life that are choices, and then there are things that, you know, they're, they're experiential. We'll talk about that at the end of the sermon. But forgiveness is always a choice. I do not forgive by nature. By nature, I want to get even. No, no, no. Getting even's no too good. I want to get them back. No, that's too good. I want to do them in. I, don't put your hands up. But I'll tell you what, my old nature pops up. Some, somebody does me wrong, that's the first thing that wants to come up. And if you're honest with yourself, you start there too. I want to get them back, and I want to get them back good. They did it to me. They two turns to me, three or four to them. Ah, no, five. Let's get them really good. I'm going to teach them. That's what we do. It's not an easy thing. It's not a fun thing to talk about. One last thing, and you're going to think this one contradicts the rest of them, but forgiveness never solved any problem except for the problem of you being an unforgiving person. You see, forgiveness doesn't deal with the offense itself. Forgiveness means to subtract, dismiss, and cancel. They did me in. I subtract, dismiss, and cancel it. But the offense has never been dealt with. But here's the important thing about this. is when I forgive, it lower, levels the playing field. It now makes it possible for the first time since that offense to actually deal with the real issue. Because if I don't forgive the person who's offended or wronged me in some way, and I go to them to confront them about <clears throat> the issue, I'm going to go with a chip on my shoulder. An axe to grind. A really big axe to chop. Because that confrontation is going to look like a fight instead of a restoration. And that's why it's so important. Fact is, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, probably one of my all-time favorite verses. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I have to stop there. Because the word for forgiveness in that verse, it's used twice, is not the normal biblical word for forgiveness. It is not. It's translated that way about two other times. That's it. It is the word that means grace or a gift. So what it's saying is you are instructed by God to give a gift. That's something they don't deserve. Unfair, remember. Something they don't deserve. I am to give them a gift because I have been given a gift. The forgiveness that's been given to me, I need to turn around and give to someone else. That's the principle of the sermon this morning as we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18. So if you're there, I invite you to uh, get ready to go because we're going to go fast. So <coughs> we're going to look at the standard of forgiveness, and this is God's standard. First of all, <coughs> okay, you're going to have to excuse me for a second. I'm still not totally over this thing. We tend to keep score. God does not. Forgiveness is a very, very, very poor accountant. In fact, I told you forgiveness and love all fit together pretty closely. 
And they do. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. It doesn't keep a running tally of what someone's done to you. That's forgiveness. That's the whole concept. It says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, and I'm, I'm asking you now to follow along, please. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Literally, the spiritual leaders of Judaism of that day said, you can forgive somebody, and you need to forgive someone three times, and after that, you don't have to forgive them. It was three strikes and you're out. Literally, that's what they taught. Three strikes, no more forgiveness. Peter's super spiritual. You know, he's a disciple of Jesus, and, you know, he always had his foot stuck in his mouth anyway. So he comes up to Jesus, well, Jesus, if I forgive them double of that plus one, are you going to pat me on the back? Are, are you, you going to give me a, a, a sticker? I think he thought he was being really, really pious at that moment. Jesus said to him, verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, I figured this out one day. Don't ask me why pastors figure these things out. But that is, if you had an employee at work for eight hours and you worked side by side and they were the royal pain in the neck of the, the whole place, you would have to forgive them once a minute. Maybe it's your spouse that just rubs you the wrong way and does all these things. Eh, you, waking hours, you, you take, take away sleep and you take away work, you, you've got eight hours with them too. You'd have to forgive them once a minute. But that's not even the point here. The point here is you're not going to keep account. Because I'll tell you what, you've got a pretty big notebook if you're going to keep account. I don't know about you, but I'm 57 years old. I can't remember three things in a row anymore. I'd have to have a notebook. I'd have to have one of those computer programs to keep, keep tabs of what's going on. His point is you need to forgive without keeping an account. If you've forgiven, it's over. Move on. You've forgiven, it's over. Move on. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. And I believe that he knew that Peter wouldn't get it, and he knew that we wouldn't get it. So he decided to give them a parable. That parable is one that says this, and we're going to pick it up in verse 23. But God is forgiving of those who owe him. We owe the greatest debt that ever could be. We have despised, offended, wronged God in every possible way. There is no way you can calculate how much wrong we have done against God. Remember, He's perfectly holy, perfectly good, perfectly righteous. Anything that we do that's tainted or stained by sin offends Him. We know that. He's absolutely perfect. And we are not. We are born with a sin nature and we live it out. Verse 23 says this. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be declared, uh, compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you've got to do a little research. And I did way too much research on this. But here's what it comes out to. A talent is approximately seven years worth of salary in those days. I'm sorry, 15 years worth of salary in those days. It's about 75 pounds of silver. 
And so when you figure it out, it is approximately 150,000 to 250,000 years worth of salary. Again, the point is this, you're never going to be able to pay it back. That's why he does this. But think this through for a couple of seconds. If this slave, who could have been a steward, slaves in those days were doctors and they were estate managers and uh, you name it, teachers, everything else. If this guy was able to borrow this much money from his uh, owner, the owner mustn't have been too bright. I don't think that was it at all. The next part is not gospel truth. This is my sanctified imagination. Here's the most trusted slave in the whole household. He has been put in charge of all the master's goods. This guy is rich beyond degree. And he's been embezzling. And now they're closing the books. They're calling everybody to account. This guy is embezzled way beyond anything he could ever even think of paying back. It's the only thing that makes sense to me. You don't have to believe that. You may have another explanation. It's the only thing that makes sense to me, though. So... He comes in and he knows he's had. And so verse 26, uh, I'm sorry, verse 25. But since, excuse me a second. You don't need to hear me half talking. Somebody's out there, if he wouldn't yell so much, probably didn't do that, but it's not true. Verse 25. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. Now, I'll tell you what. There's probably somebody in the audience this morning says, you know what? Can I really sell my wife and kids and pay off my debts? Where, where do I go? Now, that doesn't work that way. Notice it said he had to be sold along with his wife and kids and everything he owned. We don't know what he owned, but here's the point. You could have done all of that. And even so, you wouldn't even see a tenth of a one percent. Not even close to that. Maybe a hundredth of a percent of the debt paid. It would have barely even been worth the ink to write it down. It wouldn't happen. So it wasn't going to happen. But um, he is uh, told to be uh, sold. Verse 26, the slave therefore fell down prostrating himself, saying, have patience with me and I will repay everything. You understand, that is a request beyond even human comprehension. We only live one lifetime, not 150,000 or 250,000 lifetimes. We, We don't live that long. So what he's saying is, just be patient. I'll do whatever I can do. You know, don't be angry with me. Back off. The Lord saw what he was doing. The Lord had compassion. In fact, as it says in verse 26, the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. You have to understand, keep in mind, he released him and forgave the debt. Subtracted, canceled, and took it away completely. Remember that because you're going to need to know that for the end of the parable here. Because if you, if you don't remember that, something's not going to make sense. Everything has been forgiven, and he's not going to take it back again. Remember that. It's already done. It's a done deal. When Christ forgave you, when you trusted Christ, forgiveness is available for everyone. If you've never trusted Christ, the forgiveness for your sins is there. If you've trusted Christ, it's now been applied to your life. In this case, it's applied to the life. It's never taken back. There is security. There is safety and stability in that. So... He is totally forgiven. 
Praise the Lord! Great! This is wonderful! But there's a stipulation. Because if you know forgiveness, remember first, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's God's standard. See, if you've been given mercy, if you've been given forgiveness, he expects you to treat other people in the same way. So if he's been generous to you, he wants you to be generous to them. Now understand, no one ever even comes close to offending you the way you have offended God. So there is never something that is bigger than God had against you. It's always the other way around. We have offended God greatly. And so the slave number one goes out and he finds one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Well, we need to stop there for a second. A denarius is one day's wages in those days. So it's a hundred days wages. If you work 200 um, days a year, which is approximately what we work usually, that's a half a year's wages. So if you make 50,000 a year, you've run up your credit card bill to 25,000. That's overwhelming. But you know what? With proper budgeting and and, uh, tightening the belt and good decisions, you can pay that back eventually, right? This is a payable debt. So he goes out and says, pay me and I want want it right now. And uh, of course he didn't have it, so it says he seized him, he began to choke him, says, pay back what you own. So his fellow slave, this slave number two, fell down, began to entreat him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Notice it's an identical plea to what he had just done for an unpayable debt, for even a debt that would be payable. He is now choking him. He is uh, doing everything wrong toward him. He is not acting in the same generous manner that he had been dealt with. And he's pleading. Verse 30, he was, how, he was unwilling, however, and went and threw him in prison until he would pay back what was owed. Understand, if you throw a guy in prison, how long is it going to take for him to pay back the debt? And you didn't make license plates back then, okay? You didn't get 10 cents an hour. He would never get paid. This is vengeance. This is revenge. This is getting even. There's no way this guy was ever going to pay him back. He was out for good. But he did it, because it doesn't make sense to you and I when we sit here and listen to it, but we do it in practice many times. God holds us accountable for our treatment of others. If you think you can get away with stuff, forget it. God has a built-in design that if you cheat, you lie, you treat other people badly, guess what happens? You get caught. Nobody is me. Oh, you get away for a while. You'll get away for it for a while. You can sneak and connive and do a lot of things. And you'll get away for it for a short while. But God always gets it out in the light. And that's exactly what happens. Look what happened. Verse 31. When his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved. Stop there for a second. Deeply grieved. Let me give you my explanation for that. And backed up by the biblical definitions. It hurt them so badly and so deeply they had physical pain mental anguish and emotional just devastation at what they saw they're like wow the king was really generous 
to this guy. Wow, praise the Lord. This guy was really nasty to this guy. And it just inside was tearing them apart. To the point they felt sick in the stomach. You name it, whatever. It had physical symptoms of, of the grief that they were feeling. And they came and they reported to the Lord all that had happened. So they went and said, they were tattling on him. They were squealing. You know, I don't know if he thought he could get away with it. I don't know if he thought it would never get back to the Lord or not. But it did. Just remember, you try to get away with something, somebody will see you sometime. They will overhear. They will see. It, it just always works that way. There's no way you get away with it. In this case, it was his fellow slaves. I think they were very happy for him at first, and now they're very grieved at him. So they go and they tell the Lord, verse 32, Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave all that debt because you entreated me. Notice, it's still saying... I forgave all that debt. That has not changed. Okay? Verse 33. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? I cannot give something that has not already been given to me. But if I have been given forgiveness, generosity, whatever it happens to be, I am expected by God to in turn do the same thing to someone else. God has provided everything. And in this case, we're talking about forgiveness. See, you can come and you can talk to me or you can talk to somebody else and say, you don't know what my spouse did to me. You don't know how horrible my marriage is. You don't know what's going on. And I would agree with you. I don't. I know this. That if you're looking at it from God's perspective, He's already forgiven you everything. You have no right to continue to hold that against somebody else. You need to be the kind of person that God has been to you. If he's been forgiving to you, you need to be forgiving to others. And I'm going to keep it to marriage here because that's what we're talking about. I think it's one of the biggest problems in marriage. I mean, people will sit in my office and be fighting with each other at the same time tell me they love each other. And we're committed to each other. Well, will you forgive them? No. They don't usually say it out that Bluntly, but they absolutely, by their actions and their tone and everything else, they're not forgiving people. It's just the way it is. God says that is not the way it's supposed to be. We are accountable to treat others um, <clears throat> the way he has treated us. Verse, 35, uh, verse 34 says, And his Lord was moved with anger and handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And you say, that's a contradiction. You kept saying, you know, it's all been forgiven. You can talk out loud here. What does slave number one owe to the master at this point? Nothing. Okay, no money. What does he owe to the master of the Lord at this point? Forgiveness for who, Dave? You got it. That's it. The thing that he still owes is to treat the next guy down the line the way the master had treated him. It's not money anymore. It's an attitude. It's forgiveness. It's generosity. It's all of those things. That's exactly what's going on here. The debt's been paid. It's been released. He didn't go back on his word. He's just saying, you owe me something. And that is to treat others the way I've treated you. Forgive them the way I've forgiven you. That's exactly what he does. And that will make some sense when you get to the very last verse. Look at verse 35, please. 
So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. You know who the most miserable person in the world is? Somebody who knows what forgiveness is because God has forgiven them and then they turn around and won't forgive the person who offended them. Whoa. That's a person who's really, really miserable. Oh, they usually blame it on everybody else. But it's coming from the inside. Because that's exactly... They are being tortured on the inside. Mentally, emotionally, physically, on the inside. You need to do that. Because God says that's what He is going to do. Hand us over to the torturers. He will not allow our conscience to go dead. He will make that conscience be alive and well and rearing its head saying, you, 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 act the way I've acted toward you. Forgive the way I've forgiven you. Now, very quickly, I've got a few minutes left. I'd like to take and give some very, very, this is all practical, but but just go a little bit different direction and give an outline here of why should I forgive? I'm going to do it very quickly. Why should I give? Because Satan wants to get a a foothold in your life. And if you don't forgive, I can tell you he is an opportunist and he will take over your life one step at a time. You need to because of you. A lot of times we say, you need to forgive somebody else, not so much because they need the forgiveness, but you need to be a forgiving person. And you do need to be a forgiving person because I've already run over that, so we'll not do it. You're not perfect. You, again, will need forgiveness in the future. And if you're not that kind of person, you're asking someone else uh, to hold on to something that you're not willing to do. And number four, which we already talked about, is that Christ has already forgiven you. So why should we forgive? Because of Satan, because of me, and because of what Christ has done. Now, how do I forgive? Kind of put this all in perspective. First of all, forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness can never be earned. If somebody has offended you, no matter what they do for the rest of their life, they can never make it up because the harm has been done. The offense has taken place. The injustice, the violation, it's already happened. You cannot undo that. It's history at that point. So <clears throat> I need to make a decision <clears throat> to do that. No, it, it, it won't happen on its own. I have to make that decision. I need to be, and I'm going to call this a forgiving kind of person. That has to mean me a hard attitude. That's what I need to do. Second of all, <clears throat> I need to forgive. Sorry about that. I need to forgive immediately. There's an old saying that justice delayed is justice denied. I propose the same thing is true with forgiveness. Forgiveness delayed is forgiveness denied. Because when you know that someone has offended you, and you will know, otherwise there's no need for forgiveness, you need to forgive them immediately. That's the way we need to do it. It's a very practical application of what I see in the Bible. We're giving them, remember, a gift. This has nothing to do with whether the person has come to you or not at this point. And uh, we don't have time to go into details. Verse uh, number four, uh, I'm sorry, number three, we need to forgive when confession is made. I already said there's a forgiveness from the heart. 
like God has forgiven us. But if someone comes to you and says, you know what, I was wrong, will you forgive me? You, I can honestly, and I've done this many times, I've said, you know what, I, ha- I will forgive you, but you know what the real reality is? I forgave you a long time ago because I wasn't letting you control my life. I forgave you a long time ago, but yes, indeed, to your face, I will forgive you for what you've offended me. Because sometimes people do come to their senses and ask and confess. Number four, forgive, then confront, if appropriate. If appropriate. It's not always appropriate. But only after you've forgiven from the heart can you even confront another person. Because all you're going to do is line up with a fight, and it's going to make it worse. You must forgive from the heart first. Then, if that person is doing something wrong and you need to talk to them and ask them, you know, to point it out, to, not ask them, point it out to them, then only and only then can you do that once you've already forgiven them from the heart. Number five, you need to repeat forgiveness. We said, is it seven times? Three times. Seven times. No. 70 times seven? Yes. See, that's repeated just by its very nature. Yeah, but you don't know how many times they have given me attitude, how many times they've lied to me, how many times they've come home drunk, how many times they've cheated, how many times they've got caught on the computer with porn. You don't don't understand how many times. I don't need to know the details. All I need to know is how many times has God forgiven you? Oh, (laughs) oh yeah, wow. Okay, yeah, I can forgive them one more time. It's repeated. But what if they do it multiple times in one day? There's no difference. It's multiple times of forgiveness in one day. It, it, it doesn't matter what the time frame is. It needs to be repeated. Forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. You go, wow, no way, hold it a second. That doesn't seem to fit with the rest of it. But it does. I use the term forgive and forget but you have to have a definition that goes with it. Forgive and forget does not mean you forgive someone and then have amnesia. If that's the case, you are prone to repeat the problems again. You're prone to not confront it if you need to or any of the other things or change the circumstances so that it doesn't happen again. Forgive and forget means this. I dismiss, cancel, and subtract and never hold it against them again. It's now history. If it happens again, I'm starting over. But if I hold it against them every time, uh, if I forgive and don't forget, and I keep holding against it, the next time they do one little thing, just remember, this was a big thing over here. You forgave them, but you really really didn't forgive them because you're still holding it against them, so you really didn't forgive them. Now a little thing happens. Guess what? As soon as that little thing happens, you take this big thing and just put it right on top of it. And every little tiny thing becomes a major offense. I believe that if you don't forgive and forget in the sense that you don't hold against them, you really haven't forgiven them. I have had people in my office where I have had to confront them and say, have you really, really forgiven them in the past? And the answer was, no, they hadn't. Because every time one little thing came up, it was a major blow-up. It's because they had never really forgiven and allowed that to be something of the past. They were continuing to hold that because they thought they had leverage over them. 
One time, a long time ago, I can't even remember the circumstances. My wife didn't know about this. She knows about it now. But she had done three things in about a month's time that just irritated the daylights out. I thought they were offenses. But I was a new pastor. I'm bigger than that. I don't have to deal with it. And then one day she walked in my office and said something. Something I didn't like. I don't know. I was offended or whatever. And, and I got really kind of bad attitude toward her. She looked at me and said, what is wrong with you? Now, I never told her any of this. She just heard it just like you were hearing it this morning. But here's what I did. I didn't forgive. I didn't forget. And I was holding those things because I needed a few ammunitions for the future. And when that fourth thing happened, they just, all three of them just, with that fourth one, and boom, it all came out. Don't do it. It's not good. Because you need to forgive and let the past be the past. One last thing. Forgiving doesn't mean trusting. Got one more slide. Here's what it says. Forgiveness must be granted. We've just been talking about that. It's a choice you make. It cannot be earned. I mean, if somebody has sexually molested your kid, they cannot make up for that for the rest of their life by trying to be nice to your family. In fact, is you're probably going to be suspicious of them. You know what? If you've... Your spouse has been beating on you. And they say, okay, I'm going to be nice to you. That'll make up for it. It's not going to happen. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. If they've cheated on you, you can't make up for it. In fact, you're going to see that person that's with suspicion. It has to be granted. On the other hand, trust is different than that. It can't be granted. Like respect and a number of other things that are experiential in this world. You can't grant trust. That's just not smart. And it must be earned. Here's what happens. If someone's offended you, they violated you, they wronged you. You need to forgive them. But there's an old saying that uh, I believe the government still uses. Somebody told me after church that they, they still use it. Trust and verify. Because here's what it has. There's something I use in counseling all the time. It says this. Openness plus honesty plus Time equals trust. Those, that works. I didn't start out doing that in counseling. I said, oh, you need to be open and honest if you want your spouse to trust you. And then I realized, oh, I'm missing the time factor, the test of time. Because if someone has offended you or wronged you on a regular basis for a long time, and then they say, you know what, I've quit drinking. That's a big one that I used to deal with all the time. I've quit drinking. Let's say it's the husband. The wife is not going to trust her husband if he's 15 minutes late for several years. Why? Because in the past, when they were 15 minutes late, you knew where they were. They were with their buddies in the bar drinking. You know what? Whether it's uh, infidelity in the marriage, it takes time not to make up for that, because you can never make up. That forgiveness has to be granted. But for the trust factor to be restored. And that's in every area of life. I mean, if, if somebody is in the habit of lying to you and you're forgiven and forgiven and given, I've got to tell you, I'm not going to believe them unless I can verify it for a while. Until they now have established a new habit of life, a new track record. That can vary, but I'll tell you what, it's not days, and it's not weeks, and it's not months. It takes time to verify it. 
Does that mean I haven't forgiven? No. An old saying goes like this. Fooled me once, shame on you. Fooled me twice, shame on me. Because guess what? You're violating a principle. Not that I shouldn't forgive. Oh, if they, they do me in three, four, six, ten, twenty thousand times more, I need to forgive them. But I definitely need to verify it. I need to be able to know. It's something that you need to understand. If you're in here this morning and your marriage has been in really bad shape because of lies, because of drugs, because of porn, because of infidelity, because of abuse, I don't care what it is, all those things we talked about and anything else you can throw in there, you need to be open. You need to be honest. And you need to allow time to verify that you've indeed changed, that you've confessed, they've confessed, they've changed. You, you need to leave time. It requires patience. The first thing that is required when you love somebody, and that's the last sermon in this series about love, but is patience. Love is first, foremost, and forever patient. Forgiveness requires that same kind of thing. It's experiential. It's not granted. It's not something I make a choice. I can make a choice, and I'll use one illustration, I'm going to close. In my office, I have seen people who are fighting in my office. Butting heads bad. And I would look at them and say, do you love each other? Oh yeah, we love each other. You go, you're not acting that way, but we love each other. Okay? Are you committed to making this marriage work? Oh yeah, we're committed to making this marriage work. <laughs> yeah. Do you trust each other? No. Have you forgiven each other? No. Because those are experiential things. They take time. You can't just make a snap of your, your finger decision for those things. It takes time. They need to be verified. There needs to be a habit of life. Um, there needs to be the practice. There needs to be, I like to use the word track record. There needs to be a track record there. That indeed, these things have changed. These are not easy things. They're not quick things. Forgiveness is instant. But you need to forgive over and over. It also means that it hasn't made everything right. There's still the trust factor that needs to be reestablished. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're a God that really does know our ins and outs. Lord, you know that you provided everything for us through Jesus Christ. Total, complete, and absolute forgiveness of our sins. There is nothing else that can take away one single sin. Only your death on the cross. Lord, that's available to anyone that's never trusted Christ. But Lord, for those of us who have trusted Christ, it's a reality in our life. And Lord, as the way you have forgiven us, we are to forgive each other. Lord, I pray that the families in this congregation this morning would practice what we've seen today. Between each other, between them and their kids, between everyone that comes into their path. And Lord, that we would allow your perfect forgiveness to make us a forgiving kind of person. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Go with God.